Well, Merry Christmas. Everybody doing good? Good. Uh, Grab your Bibles if you got them and go to one of the most familiar Christmas passages, Matthew chapter 20. Actually, it has nothing to do with Christmas, but I'm going to turn it into a Christmas sermon. Anybody get a BB gun growing up, an air rifle? Anybody get one growing up? Okay. All right. Just a few of us. That's what's wrong with the world. Okay, no problem. I did, and me and my brother did when we were kids, and and I can remember... um, Within the week after he got it, the neighbor came over to our house and said, uh, Mr. Martin, your son, not me, not, not me. I was probably praying somewhere, but he said, uh, <laughs> your, your, your son, Russ, shot out seven windows from our house, seven windows. So my dad went to him and said, son, if you accidentally shot out a window, why didn't you tell us? And he said, daddy, I was aiming right at him. And so uh, <laughs> he is now the SWAT commander for St. John's SWAT team, all right? So... Praise God. Um, <clears throat> hey, we are in week uh, three of this series called Unexpected Hope. What happens when you come face to face with Jesus? And that's what Christmas is. Christmas is about p- coming face to face with Jesus. Last week, we talked about misplaced hope, about putting your hope in the wrong places. And I warned you last week, I'm going to warn you every week, that this Christmas you will be disappointed once again because you will have some, un- ex- you will have some unmet expectations, especially when you put them into the wrong place. And you, last week, wrote down... Down where, some, where, where your hope crawls off to sometimes. And I thank you for your honesty. And our staff went away this past week on our staff retreat, and we prayed like crazy for you on Monday night. And so uh, tonight what I want to do is tonight I want to talk very practically about how do you do that? How do you put your hope in Jesus? In other words, what we're going to talk about is, is this, is how do you have a great Christmas? And I very rarely ever do this kind of sermon, but tonight I am going to give you five ways I want you to think of them not in steps. I don't like steps, but just five kind of think about like ingredients to a recipe, five things that you need um, to have a great Christmas. And it's rooted in this text that that we are going to look at here tonight. And because I'm going to pick it apart, I just want to read through it one time so you don't miss what happens here in the text. And we're going to use this uh, to instruct us on how to have a great Christmas. Christmas. It says this in Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. I'm just going to read the whole account here. It says, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way he said to him, see, we were going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. And then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be the great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. May God add blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his word. Here's why I want you to have a great Christmas. 
Because I think, as I was reading and praying and studying and getting ready for this sermon, I just began to think that I, I think that, that Christmas is kind of like a microcosm of our entire life. Christmas is like this concentrated microcosm, really, of your entire year. And it sort of exposes um, some of the most painful things in your whole year. Maybe it's why uh, around Christmas time, people are more depressed than ever and, and those kind of things. And, and here's what I mean. Like all throughout the year, if you don't have friends, you don't even really notice that much. You know why? Because you have Facebook and it lies to you and tells you you got like 400 friends. And you're like, yeah, this is what I, see, I do things with these people all the time. That's kind of what you feel like, but you don't actually do things with them. You just watch them do things while you're by yourself. That's kind of what happens. And you have a Twitter account. And so you never really feel alone, right? You're like, oh, look, LeBron just sent me a message. No, he didn't. He just sent a message, and you're a stalker, and you follow him. I mean, that's what it's like. So it kind of masks the fact that you don't really have friends until Christmas time comes, and people that have real friends go with their real friends, and there you are alone. And you're like, uh-oh, I don't think I have real friends. And you might not. And so Christmas time kind of exposes that. Or if you don't have money, Christmas time makes you painfully aware that you don't have any money. Because you ever get that, that, you know, regardless of where you are on the financial spectrum, if you're like me, at some point in your life, you had absolutely nothing. And then somebody would give you a present and you'd be like, dang it. Because then you thought, now I got to get you some junk, right? That's where the whole idea of regifting came from, you know? You got to be real careful with that. You should probably keep a log so you don't give it back to the person who gave it back to you, you know, whatever. But so that's how that goes. It will expose you. And so that's why you go for the credit cards, you know, how that whole deal. Or here's one that's just true. If if you've got family issues, if you've got a big dysfunctional family, is that not magnified at Christmas like crazy? And here's why. Because, because, because I'm going to tell you, my parents got divorced when I was in high school. And, and, and me and any one of my parents could always be together, but we couldn't be all together at one time. And Christmas kind of forces that. And you begin to look around and then it just gets weird and it never goes away. I mean, my parents have been divorced for, I don't know, decades now, and still Christmas is still weird. Why? Because you've got like six Christmases to go to. And you're trying to, you know, don't want to disappoint people, and they're like, are you going to go here? Are you going to go there? What about this? I'm like, hey, listen, I, I was not the one that couldn't get along with each other, okay? So you got to come see me if you want to see me. So that's what happens <laughs> over and over and over. And you feel this incredible pressure to f- try to fix a generational problem with one visit. You're never going to fix it. It's just true. And so, what if this Christmas is different? What if this is the Christmas that everything is different? And here's why. You know that letdown feeling that you have at some point in Christmas. What, what I believe is that that letdown is actually the grace of God in your life to let you know that this world will never be able to fully and finally satisfy. It just won't. And regardless of the message of all the Christmas movies. And I love the Christmas movies. I do. I told you last week, my favorite one's Die Hard. That's the best Christmas movie ever. All right, that's a fact. But I love the Christmas movies, and I love the idea of the magic of Christmas and the miracle of Christmas. But all of that is only good for the movies because there is no magic of Christmas. Even if you get the Red Ryder BB gun, guess what? One day you're going to shoot your eye out. I mean, I I think I've told you before, my favorite Christmas memory that I have as far as, you know, that that thing that I asked Santa for and he gave it to me. I remember coming down the stairs when I was in the sixth grade and Santa Claus brought me a dirt bike. 
in the sixth grade, which is the message for the parents. If you're in middle school here and you're in sixth grade, your parents should ask Santa for you a dirt bike. And so Santa dropped it off in my grandma's house inside, like coming out the chimney. He was in a hurry. Boom. There's one for me and one for my little brother. I had a XRADR and he had a little 50. Okay. And it's 4 AM. I was the one that would get up early and you know, I was the first one to check. There's usually, there's usually, you know, if you've got siblings, there's one that's like into it and up early and you got to wake the other one up and you know, your parents won't let you open presents until everybody's awake because they're communists or whatever. And so, you know, <laughs> and so I get down and there's a dirt bike in my grandma's living room and I could not resist. And it's in my pajamas, I jumped on it and just cranked it up in the living room, just like that. And out the door opens and there's Nana, just crazy, you know, oh, and she's saying something, but I couldn't hear. I got it. And this place is filling up with smoke. Okay. So even if you get that, It'll never fully and finally satisfy. And so what we are looking at, the text that we have chosen for this Christmas season are these face-to-face encounters with Jesus, and we see what we find in him. And so what you've got here, I know it's a weird Christmas text, but um, you've got this mom who goes to Jesus and says, hey, listen, so Jesus, when you like take over the whole world, can my boys be like senior VPs of something? Could that, could that happen, okay? So what I want to do is I think in this text from Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 to 28, I think what we see here are some ways for you to have a great, and that's, that's the important word, for you to have a great Christmas. And so here's five things, five things. Number one is this. First, you got to remember the gospel. You say, I want to be very, very practical here, and there's nothing more practical than the gospel, uh, one of the things kind of gets on my nerves when people are like, you know what, I don't really like doctrine and theology. I just like practical. There is nothing more practical than the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, that original story that I told you about my brother shooting out all the windows in my neighbor's house, it's a picture of the gospel because guess what? Guess what? He had created a debt that he could not pay on his own. And do you know what his father did? His father did not abandon him and say, well, tough, son, or you go out, you're seven years old, and you get a job, and you get enough money to replace him. And no, he didn't do any of that. My dad paid the debt for my little brother. That is actually the shooting out of the windows is a beautiful Christmas story, all right? My dad doesn't believe it, but whatever, okay? It's just true. Number one is you've got to remember the gospel. Here's how this text starts out. In verse 17, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Listen, this is why Jesus came. The reason that Jesus came and was born in this manger was not just to be a cute little baby to teach us how to be a better version of you when he grew up. That this was his sole purpose when he came was to be the substitutionary atonement for you and me. That the gospel, the gospel could be summed up in these four, four words, Jesus in my place. And never, ever forget it. And here's why. Here's why keeping the gospel first at Christmas is going to help you to have a great Christmas. Because when you begin to understand that when Jesus pushed up on those nail-pierced feet on the cross and he says, it is finished, 
What he's talking about is that his, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was there to pay for our sin. And for anybody that would surrender their life to the Lordship of Christ, check this out. You know what? You know what else is finished for us? The performance trap and the pretending now can be finished. <laughs> what if you actually leaned into that this Christmas? What if you actually leaned into the reality that if you're in Christ, you no longer have to perform because it's, it's finished? That God's attitude towards you is not affected by your performance, but it was fully and finally satisfied by Christ's performance on the cross. And what if this year at Christmas, you didn't have to pretend anymore because the real Jesus came and actually died for the real you? And so you don't have to act like you got it all together because he knows you ain't got it all together. And people act like they've got it all together at Christmas better than any other time. Do they not? I mean, come on. We're at church. That's what people do at church. You know, remember back in the day you went to a different kind of church and get all dressed up and you just go, you know, and you would like put on your Sunday best. And I get what people were trying to do. I'm going to wear my best for God. Praise God. From a right heart, that's a beautiful thing. You know what the danger of that is? Is that you put on your Sunday best and you're never, ever real. And the fake you's doing just fine. But you feel like you got to pretend all the time. And people come up to you and be like, how you doing, brother? And be like, I'm just blessed. And you ain't blessed. You're jacked up. <laughs> I mean, you're like a half a fight away from getting divorced. You're broke. You're miserable. Everything is just messed up, but you've learned these little kitschy church phrases. Oh, just glory to God, you know, just blessed. And it ain't true. What if this Christmas you realized that in the gospel, the, the pretending and the performance were over? You see, every time you see that little manger, man, Jesus didn't stay in that little manger. He grew up. He grew up to live this perfect life, to die a sinner's death for you and for me. And so the pretending game and the performance trap is over because it's finished. It is finished, which leads to number two. You want to have a great Christmas? Number one is this. Remember the gospel. Number two is this, is find your rest in Jesus. Here's what this mother does, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, she came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Now, here's what's crazy. <clears throat> you want to talk about immediately forgetting the gospel? I mean, Jesus, the words aren't even out of his mouth good yet. Hey, we're going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer and die and be convicted and flogged and, and die on a cross. And she's like, yeah, okay, whatever. All right, but so how about my boys? You see, a big part of the reason, a big part of the reason that remembering the gospel first and foremost is going to help you have a great Christmas is because it will immediately help you understand it ain't about you. Let's just say that together. Ready? It ain't about you. Say it one more time. It, it feels good to say that, doesn't it? That's one of my favorite things to say to people, by the way. But like, well, maybe it ain't about you. You know what I don't like to say, though? This one. It ain't about me. Like, oh, it doesn't feel as good. Doesn't have that ring to it. Well, then maybe it ain't about me, right? So <clears throat> immediately this woman forgets the gospel. And so, wow, you got to give me a little break here. But um, she obviously takes her eyes off the gospel. And her priorities and her perspective, they're wrong. But her posture is right. You see, what she does is she comes and she kneels at the feet of Jesus. And what she is asking for her sons is not that they can stand up, but they can sit at the right and left hand of Jesus. 
What if this Christmas you learn how to find rest at the feet of Jesus? What if you, because, because you believe the gospel, because you remember that this whole thing is not about a baby in a manger, but a savior on a cross. And what if you really believe that the performance trap and the pretending trap is over and you quit trying to impress everybody and you actually just found rest in Jesus? You see, because is, <laughs> is there a busier time than right now? So busy, isn't it? You ever ask yourself why? Why are we so busy at Christmas to celebrate the one, the Prince of Peace? Why? Why are we so busy with all this stuff to celebrate one that was born in a horse trough? No parties, one angelic, you know, choir, that's it. And yet a lot of us are wearing ourselves out and here's why. You're trying to impress some other people that you don't even really like that much. So what if this year, I mean, seriously, what if this year, what if this is the year that you actually believe that it is finished and you quit pretending and you quit trying to perform and you actually found rest in Jesus? We're two weeks away. It's two weeks away from Christmas Eve, okay? Do you think you can find two days in the next two weeks to rest? If not, you know what that's called? That's called a sin. It's called a sin. The fourth commandment is this hinge commandment of the Sabbath, that we would remember Sabbath and keep it holy. And some people get really hung up on the day and all of that, whatever. Over the next 14 days, you need two days where you just actually stop doing and a part of you not doing screams out to the world, I trust that God's still got the whole world in his hands. And I know some of you, some of you are sweating right now just with that idea, are you not? Because you're thinking about presents that you have to buy and parties that you have to go to, right? And cakes that you have to bake and, and people that you don't like that you have to be with. What if this is the year that you actually say no? No. Here, I'll teach it to you in Spanish. Ready? No. Now you're bilingual. <laughs> Now, I know there's some stuff that we have to do, but the, but the real question is this. Are you busy because you're living for the applause of man? And if so, what if this is the year that you find your rest in Jesus and just say, you know, we're not going to do that this year? I, I told you this before. My favorite seminary professor told me this. He said, on the day I graduated from seminary 100 years ago, he said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. So ask yourself this question. Ask yourself this question, what do I need to stop doing this season to have a great Christmas season? Some of you need to have this honest conversation when you say, you know what, I really don't wanna go to that thing. The only reason that we go is to try to impress those people and we only see them at this thing, that's probably why we don't like them that much. And what if this is the year you're just like, you know what, we're just not gonna go. Whatever that thing is, that you would just trust that God approves of you. You ever think about that? In Christ, Christ is the exclamation point to prove to you once and for all, you have God's approval. So you can quit trying to seek it everywhere else. What if you looked for rest in Jesus? Now here's what's crazy. Jesus gives us this invitation. Jesus gives us this invitation. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened and attention shoppers. That's almost what it sounds like, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, how many of you are done with your Christmas shopping? 
Raise your hand. Anybody? All right. You right there. All right. We hate y'all. Don't worry about it. Now, husbands, y'all don't count. All right. You get one gift on Christmas Eve. I see you at Walmart. I understand. All right. You want to understand the grace of God, the extensive grace of God? Come with me to Walmart on Christmas Eve and look around. And you're like, he loves everybody? Yes. It is amazing. Okay. Now, what if we actually took Jesus up on his invitation? And here's what he says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. He doesn't say go looking for rest. He says, come to me. And as a result of coming to me, a byproduct of that is rest. You see, some of you think you're getting rest and you just got like a lazy Sunday. Those are two different things. What the Prince of Peace came to do is to come to give you rest for your soul. So what do you need to stop doing this season? What do you need to stop doing this season? Because the only reason you're doing it is for the applause and the approval of man. And because, number one, you're going to remember the gospel, now you're going to step in at the feet of Jesus and you're going to find some rest. And you're going to say, you know what? I need to stop doing this because it's just making me busy. And I'm going to actually trust that I have the approval of God demonstrated at the cross. So number one is remember the gospel. Number two, find your rest in Jesus. Number three, depending on the uh, dysfunction of your family, you'll like this one, all right? Number three is you better be ready to endure some pain. You want to have a great Christmas? See, a part of the reason you have such a terrible Christmas is you have these unmet expectations. So if you just go in with the right expectations, it could, it could fundamentally change everything. So to have a great Christmas, maybe you need to, the third one is be ready to endure some pain. And I'm not talking about self-inflicted wounds. I'm talking about endure some pain for some others. So the mom comes and says, hey, Jesus, how about put my sons as, you know, senior VPs right and left of you, 22. And Jesus answers, you do not know what you were asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said, uh-huh. And he's like, mm-mm. Now, he goes on to say, oh, you're going to drink it. What the cup represents is the cup of the wrath of God. What he is saying is, I am going, in order for me to be high and exalted and lifted up and be the king of kings and lord of lords so that one day everybody will bow at my name, before that, the road to glory leads through Golgotha, through the cross. You sure you want to do that? And they don't know, they don't know what he's talking about. So listen, Christian. Um... He's talking about that every single one of us are going to endure pain. He promises, Jesus promises that if we follow him, it will bring, bring trouble and pain. Now, I'm not saying that makes it hurt any less, but we should never, ever be surprised. Like we have a spiritual enemy whose mission statement, according to John 10, 10, is to steal, kill, and destroy us. And so... I don't know why we're so surprised when us as Christians, when we endure pain. It's probably because of all the cruddy testimonial videos we've seen on Christian TV. You know the ones I'm talking about, right? You ever watch them? I, maybe it's just because I work in the church and I'm flipping through and I see church on TV and I'm like, all right, what's this all about, okay? And everyone's the same, right? Everybody's like, yeah, I was in this gang and I was selling meth down in the hood and then I got in a knife fight with another gang member and a dude stabbed me in the eye and I saw the reflection of Jesus and I was like, oh, glory. And I got saved and now I'm the pastor of the fastest growing church in the world. <laughs> Praise God. I'm like, what? Because <laughs> most, most people's story around here is really like this. I'm like, yeah, life's going wrong. It's kind of average. It's sort of like everybody else. Felt like something was missing and then I met Jesus and yeah, way worse. Where's the end? Well, I, you know, I'm still in the worst part, but I got Jesus. 
John 16, 33, Jesus says this, I have said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Not you might. You will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. This is one of the promises of God. I've looked through every promise book at, at like a Bible bookstore, you know, Yo, I am so cynical. It's so crazy I even have to work at a church. You understand? I go in those places like the calendars with the promises of God. Can you imagine if I got to be the one to pick the verses of the calendar with the promises? January, you will be persecuted. I like this one. But it is. You, in this world, you will have tribulation. 2 Timothy 3.12. I could do this all night. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Persecuted. Now, here's the thing. Honestly, as Americans, I mean, I mean, there's the people really getting persecuted, right? I mean, and, and I don't know if it's a good idea to compare ourselves to other people's pain because pain is just pain, you know? If I stun my toe and you cut your leg off, it doesn't make my toe feel any better. That should be a proverb or something, shouldn't it? It's just true. So maybe, maybe the pain that, you better, that you're going to have to do this Christmas is there's somebody in your family and they are just going through the muck and the mire. I mean, they're addicted. They've lost a loved one. They've been divorced. You know what I'm saying. There's somebody and you know you're going to be near them. And a part of the pain that you are going to endure this Christmas is because the Bible says that we as brothers and sisters are to bear one another's burdens. And it is not, it's not your fault. The Bible talks very little about fault. It talks a whole lot about responsibility. Sin was not the fault of Jesus and he took responsibility for it all. And that's what we're called to do. And maybe the pain that you bear is you walk through some brother or sister, literally, or a, a Christian brother and sister, and they are going through a crisis in their life. And what you're going to do is you're going to endure pain on their behalf. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And you're saying, well, yeah, I think you got a different definition of great. You picking up on that yet? Or maybe the pain that you're going to endure, this actually happens a lot from 1122ers, is some of you are going to be persecuted because of your new faith. This is the first time back to your family since you've become a Christian. I mean, heck, y'all, in the last three years, we have 3,000 people surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Christ. You don't think that creates a little family tension when they show back up for the holidays? Like, you're a part of what? They do. Isn't that a cult? And a part of the pain that you're going to have to endure is, is standing up for the name and the renown of Jesus, not because he needs to be defended, but because it's actually, you've actually been transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. And I would just say this, and it's worth it. And it's worth it. And some of you, maybe you're going to have to endure the pain of your dysfunctional family so that so that you could shine light in a dark place. Do you get that? Now, what will begin to happen? 
I'm telling you, if you'll hang out on this a little bit, if you'll actually have this in mind, then what's going to happen to you is the day after Christmas and when you're with your cousin and you can't stand that guy and he's wearing you out and you just, "Mm," then God is going to bring to mind, this is what Pastor Joby was talking about. This is the pain that I have been called to endure. And you kind of giggle a little bit. And here's why, because it's true. But maybe, just maybe, you're the only gospel that that family ever sees. And it's one time a year. And there's something about this season that people are open up just a little bit more to hear about the hope and the love of God. And, and, and so, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. A part of what might make this a great Christmas for you is that you endure pain. So number one, remember the gospel. Number two, find your rest in Jesus. Number three, be ready to endure pain. The fourth one is this. If you want to have a great Christmas, then honor someone. Honor someone. Once again, the gospel reminds us that it ain't about you. Here's what Jesus says to the request from the mom. He says says to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. Do you see what Jesus just did right there? The Bible says very clearly that all things were created by him and for him and through him and to him. We just, we just finished a series and just sang a song that he is before all things. In John chapter 13, the Bible says, all authority on heaven and earth had been placed under Jesus. Again, in Matthew chapter 28, it says that all authority on heaven and earth had been given unto Jesus. That Jesus is the word and all things were made by him and for him and through him and to him. He has all authority on heaven and on earth. And when given this request, what is his response? It ain't about me. It's about my, I'm going to defer to my Father in heaven. It's what Philippians chapter 2 meant when it says that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Here's what that means. Jesus never played the God card. Jesus never walked into the restaurant, and it was like a 40-minute wait, and he was like, hey, come here. I'm the Son of God. Go ahead, let me get be seated. He never did that one time. And so, (laughs) here's the thing. Maybe this Christmas, like Jesus here, Jesus was consistently looking for an opportunity to honor his heavenly father. What if this Christmas you were consistently looking for a way to honor your heavenly father by trying to outdo one another in honor? Maybe there's somebody in your family. Maybe there's somebody at work. Maybe there's somebody in this church. And instead of you and me making it about you and me, we actually defer to them. And it rubs against us. The only reason you should honor somebody like that is because of the gospel. And see, here's the thing about honor. Honor is given, respect is earned. Honor is given and respect is earned. And a lot of times we confuse the two things. Do not be confused. There are a lot of people in your life and they are not respectable. I'm not asking you to respect somebody that's disrespected you your whole life. But the the gospel does command us to honor them. And here's why. Because it will be this teaching moment for you. It will recalibrate your own heart to remind you, once again, this is not about me. So number one, remember the gospel. Number two, find your rest in Jesus. Number three, be ready to endure pain. Number four, honor someone. And the fifth one is this. The fifth one is serve someone. Serve someone. Look what Jesus does in verse 24. It says, and when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. So you get the picture here, right? 
His two disciples and their mom go to Jesus and they say, hey, can we like be, you know, like senior VPs of Jesus Incorporated when it really goes down and the stock splits and all that. And, and then the other 10 are like, what? Y'all did what? Why do you think they're mad? They're like, why didn't we think about that? And then they're like, you brought your mom? How are you going to send your mom to go talk to Jesus? You understand? And so they get indignant. You know why they really are indignant? Because they didn't get what they wanted. Because they didn't get what they wanted. Let me tell you one of the most frustrating passages in the whole Bible. I don't have to look it up. James 4.1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? It's a question in the Bible. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And I don't think it's like a, just a rhetorical question. I think James is like, okay, let's hear it. What's the last big fight you had about? Or think about last Christmas. Remember when you got those big fights last Christmas? If James were to come to you and say, all right, last Christmas, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Every single one of us, when we answer that question, well, I can tell you, I can tell you about the last fight and quarrel. It's because he is because she, right? It's just true. Isn't that what we always do? It's because my kids aren't grateful. My wife don't know, and she didn't. He's just always lazy, and I work at whatever it is. We're always like, my boss, my dad over there. And then James, in James 4, 1 through 3, he answers his own question in the Bible. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not something that rages within you? You know what James says? And by the way, this is the brother of Jesus. You want empirical evidence that Jesus raised from the dead? His brother surrendered his life to the lordship of Jesus. Think, I mean, what would it take for you to be convinced that your sibling was the son of God? You get that? My brother, shout out the seven windows. If he came to me one day and said, Joby, behold. I'm like, hey, I ain't old nothing. Right? You can get on out of here, you liar. And James, the brother of Jesus, gets to the place later in his life, post-resurrection, he's like, you know what, my brother's, my brother's the Christ. And he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And we always want to point out there. And he goes, isn't it, isn't it the, the passions that rage within you? What James is saying is this. He's like, you know what? You know what the common denominator of every fight you've ever been in is? Is you. And then he goes on and says this. You want something and you don't get it. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? Don't you hate it when the Bible is just so clear? And some people are like, I just can't understand it. Well, read that part of James, all right? <laughs> you know what your problem is? You. That's what it says. You know what my problem is? Me. You want something and you don't get it. You know where the pain of Christmas comes? In unmet expectations. You have this expectation and then you have an experience and there is a gap in between and that gap is filled with your pain. That's where it comes from, over and over and over. You want something, and you don't get it. Now, when you're a kid, it's like you want a present, or you want a toy, or, or you want Santa to bring you something. And as you get older, really, it's just the same thing. It's just different. You want a relationship. You want everybody to get along. You want everybody to come to your house. You want whatever it is. And really, that's what's wrong with the other 10 disciples right there. They wanted it. Like, dang it, those guys asked for what we wanted. And so they become indignant. Verse 25, but Jesus called them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but there's verses like that that make me nervous because I can just tell you, here's what this means, that... Um, what he's saying, in other words, is you will not demand that it has to be your way. 
That's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Hey, listen, the Gentile authorities, they lord it over them. They say, you see the name tag right there? It says assistant manager. You will do what I say. He says, that's how, that's how Gentiles do it. But with you, it will not be so. I hope that makes you scratch your head a little bit and go, uh-oh. Do you have to demand that it always goes your way? All right, well, let's just pick on somebody else that's not here right now because it's easier. Do you know somebody in your family, and part of the reason Christmas is always jacked up is because it always has to be their way. Does that make it easier? All right. Let me just tell you, and sometimes that's you. <laughs> if we all left and got a whole nother crowd in here, a few of them are thinking of you. And Jesus is saying it should not be that way. And then here he goes. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You see, Jesus totally redefines what it means to be great. He totally redefines what it means to be great. You see, because if I think about, hey, I want to have a great Christmas. Here's what I think about. That means I'm going to get what I want when I want. That's what it would be great. My idea of a great Christmas would be I've got these expectations, and they could even be like really good ones, like we all hold hands and carol around the neighborhood, and everybody meets the Lord, or whatever it is, okay? It's not just cash and prizes. You get that? But a lot of times we think, okay, a great whatever is I get mine. And Jesus here says great means I give up all of mine. He totally takes whatever your idea of great is and he flips it all the way upside down in his head. And he says, now, in my economy, that's what it means to be great. Not that you get everything that you want, but you, get, you give up everything that you have. And then you might be like, well, Jesus, why in the world would I do that? And he says, verse 27, whoever be first among you, must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, if Jesus came to serve, then how much more should we position ourselves to serve? These boys come up, their mom comes up and says, hey, we want to be great. And he goes, all right, you want to be great? Then you serve. That's how you, that's how you become great. See, one of the things, um, I heard a preacher ask a long time ago, if, when you find yourself to be the most powerful person in the room, what do you do? And my initial, when I first heard that, it's probably 10 years ago, my, fit, my initial reaction was, well, I'm, not the, I'm never the most powerful person in the room. But, but all of us are at some part of our life, okay? Whether it's driving carpool or at the board meeting or in the, some, some place in your life, you're gonna find yourself and you are the most powerful person in the room. That's where Jesus is right now. And then the question is, what do you do with that positional authority? In John chapter 13, you know what Jesus does? The Bible says Jesus, knowing that all authority in heaven and earth had been put under him, he demonstrated the full extent of his love. And he got up from the table and he dressed himself as a servant and he began to wash his disciples' feet. You know what I find? I hope this is a safe place. You know what I find when I'm the most powerful person in the room? I make sure everybody knows it. I mean, drive around in the car, you will shut up, and we listen to my radio, what I want to listen to, all right? If you want to hear more Christmas music, Rabbit Stone. That's what I say, okay? <laughs> and Jesus goes, no, 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 no. It shall not be so among you. You listen to Frozen on repeat over and over and over. That's what you do. And here's why. Here's why. Because Jesus himself said that the Son of Man came to not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So how about I serve somebody 
this Christmas. Now you could like serve at Bay Meadows on, on Saturday. You should, and I'll be there and it'll be great. And let me just tell you, that's easy. And you could serve with one of our community partners and they need it and you need it and everybody needs it. And that, let me tell you the hardest people to serve, the people you're going to actually be with all Christmas. What if you made it not about you? And every opportunity, because, because you remember the gospel and because you're resting in Jesus and you're not seeking the approval of man, but you're actually just responding to the gospel and because you know, even if it's cost me a little pain, I don't care because I'm a Christian, I'm ready to endure pain because I want to honor somebody else and make much of them and not make much of me, I'm going to pick up a towel and I'm going to serve. And why? Here's how he wraps it up. Because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The bookend of how to have a great Christmas is he started with the gospel. I'm heading to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and die for the sins of all mankind. And he ends up how to be great right here because Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. I love that he uses the word ransom. You know why he uses the word ransom? Because ransom is the payment that you pay for somebody that has been captured or kidnapped. And the fundamental message of Christmas is this, is that Jesus came on a rescue mission behind enemy lines to rescue you and to rescue me. And all of us that have been rescued by King Jesus, dropping in behind enemy lines, then we should have a great Christmas. And all of the details could be all jacked up. I mean all of it. You could burn the turkey and none of the clothes that you get fit. And in fact, let me just tell you, husbands, guess small, no matter what it is. That's a fact, okay? Really? Not a small? No? Okay. You know, looks like it to me. All right, that's just for free. But everything could be, the car could break down, all the parties go bad, all of that. But if we get this right, then guess what? We could have a great Christmas. Tim Keller says this, Christmas is the end of thinking that you are better than someone else because Christmas is telling you that you could never get to heaven on your own, that God had to come for you. And here's what's beautiful. Jesus did all five of these things at Christmas. I mean, Jesus kept the first things first in the gospel. The declaration of Christmas in Luke chapter two is this, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. That means gospel. I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. Do you get that? For all the people. That's why this is a movement for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Not a baby who's going to come teach you some stuff. And it also says, it does not say that Jesus came for the religious people or Jesus came for the church people or Jesus came, but Jesus came for all the people and unto you. You see, even at Christmas, the declaration of Christmas is that the gospel was first. And then Isaiah says that a part of what Jesus was going to do is he came to bring peace on earth and goodwill to man. That that's what this little baby in a manger was ushering into mankind. Peace, that word, see in English, we think peace just means the absence of war. In Hebrew, that word peace, shalom, means wholeness. Jesus says it's like rest for your soul. That was a part of the mission of Jesus. And you think he endured pain? He endured the pain of being born in the manger. And listen, that was a big, big, big deal. 
We overlooked that so much. You realize when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, how much pain Jesus endured just to show up as a human? I mean, we have no concept of the glory and the majesty and the perfection that was heaven, that is heaven. And he stepped out of heaven on the earth. I mean, the closest thing I've ever gotten to is when JP was about two years old, I think. My son and my wife is a clean freak. You understand? There's sometimes when somebody in our family gets sick and I have to remind her, hey, baby, they are not the disease. They have it. You understand? So we can't quarantine them and all that. And so she is, I mean, we never wet wiped and antibacterial and you know what I'm saying? You remember those days, especially if you had little kids and, and then our kids were, I mean, it's not what even all the way out yet. And she was getting it. I was like, oh, that's gross. All right. And so we were, I think it was, it was Christmas time and we were going up to my grandma's house and riding down I-95 and we pull over at a truck stop and JP has to go to the bathroom. And she was like, you got to take him. I was like, all right. And she looked at me and she said, don't get anything on him. And my precious little blonde with his osh bosh bigosh, you know what I'm saying? And just clean, clean. And we walk into the truck stop bathroom, all right? And I did like the Jackie Chan to get the door open. You're not trying to, if you could hover in and just go, you would, right? And then I get into the stall and I'm like, who has time to write things in here? And somebody is carving their name. I mean, this is crazy. Thank God the boy can't read because it's not age appropriate, all right? And you're just like, where do you put him? And the whole place is wet. How does it get wet in here? And it is, you know what I mean. And you just, and that's all you're thinking. Just, hey, buddy, just don't, t ready, go. And I'll just, I'll get it right, okay? <laughs> we get back out of the car. And again, I Jackie Chan my whole way back out, right? Open all the doors and all of that. And then I just bring him back to mama. And it's just, you know, just rubbing him down with antibacterial. <laughs> She's like, did you get anything on him? I don't know. <laughs> what if? This is not how it works, but in my mind, this is how it works, that when Jesus is on his way, Christmas Eve, I feel like Michael and Gabriel are like, I hear it's gross down there. I hear it's nasty and there's sin and depravity and crookedness. Just, ugh, just whatever you do, Jesus, just don't get any of it on you. <laughs> the Bible says... See, that's what goes through my mind when I read Philippians 2. And so the Bible says that he dresses himself as a servant and he shows up. And not only does he endure the pain of living as a human and being tempted by the devil and going through betrayal of a friend and all of that, he endures the pain of the cross. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, that means we follow him into the pain. And he honored his father. You know why we want to honor somebody else? Because Jesus always looked for an opportunity to honor his father. And you think Jesus served? He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And he served us by taking on our burden of sin. And if we do those things, then we can be great, like Jesus said. And because he did, you can have a great Christmas the way Jesus defines great. Not by getting everything that you want, but by getting the one that is greater than anything that you've ever wanted. My hope and my prayer for you, church, is this year we would have a great, the way Jesus defines it, great Christmas. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you because you first loved us. God, Christmas time stirs up a whole bunch of emotion. Again, God, maybe because it's just a microcosm of our life, maybe because it exposes the places in our lives that are hurting the most. 
Lord, the last thing I want to do is make light of somebody that is in pain. Because Jesus, you endured pain, Lord. You are a high priest that can empathize. And Lord, I pray that the church of 1122, God, that we would be a light in a dark place. God, that we would be a beacon of hope in a hopeless generation. And that a part of that hope would be that we would walk with brothers and sisters in pain. God, I pray that first and foremost, Lord, we would remember the gospel. God, that we would keep first things first, that every time we see a manger, we would know that it leads to a cross. God, I pray that the gospel would convict us and compel us to walk in the freedom that it is finished. The performance trap is over. The pretending game is over. Because you don't love some future version of us, you love us right now. And in that, we could find rest. And Lord, I pray that that would compel us to honor one another and serve one another that we could have a great, great Christmas because we serve such a great, great God. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, we, um, we respond to the gospel. We respond by praying. We'd love for you to come down and pray. I know some of you are gonna need the Holy Spirit working like crazy in your life this Christmas so that you can have a great Christmas. We respond by joining our voices together and singing, all of us as one united voice, singing to our great God. And this is the time that we bring our tithes and offerings to God, our first and our best. And just in case you hadn't been around lately, everything uh, that we give to now goes to this incredible movement that God is leading us on, the before all things journey. So let us respond.